Welcome to this episode of Lev Avot, Heart of the Fathers. Explore with me the hearts and minds of the children of Israel and how their experiences relate to Torah. Together we might find out what connects us and how to turn back to the heart of our fathers. My name is Yohanan. I am a Jewish artist living on the ancient hills of Israel. Find me on Facebook or support my work on Patreon, where I share my best content. The links are in the description. So, um, I just want to welcome you, Rafi. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I'm very stoked to, to meet with you and to come out here to the Golan. It's such a beautiful place driving up here, you know, through the, the mists and the mountain. And, uh, I, you know, I just feel the blessing of the rain coming over the land. And um, to me, it's, it's, it feels... I feel blessed to be here, a part of, of Am Israel, to be able to be here and living in the land of Israel. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, welcome to the conversation. Um, you are Rafi from the Endgame Investor. Can you can you explain to to people what what is the Endgame Investor all about? Yeah. Um, first of all, thanks for coming over and talking. I'm always glad to talk to anyone who understands reality more or less, and that's becoming more rare and rare. And uh, so you know, I'll talk to anyone who who gets it. <laughs> yeah. And. Uh, doesn't matter exactly what part of the picture you get as long as you get this whole thing as a movie that we're being played like toys and pawns and, and we gotta we gotta stand up and lead because there's no one else to do it yeah so that's what I'm trying to do in the monetary way I'm, I'm trying to lead in what I can and what I'm good at and what I know that I'm right about um, you know just uh, for a second about the Golan you know uh, I came here before the world lost its mind a few years before in 2016 it was already starting to, uh, and uh, it, you know this was the territory of Reuven and God and Chatzim Menashe. Who uh, so it's sort of Eretz Yisrael, sort of on the other mm-hmm. side. It, it is it is Eretz Yisrael. I'm not saying it's not, but but it's like it's sort of separate, and yeah. it's perfect because I want to be in this country, but I don't want to be you know, in, in the it. middle of it. I don't want to be in the middle of it. <laughs> I, I'm I'm perfectly fine here, looking from the Ramah, from like on top, and saying okay. You guys do that over there. I'll just I'll just stay up here, and then you know stay away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, how safe yeah. do you feel here with Syria very close and Lebanon in the north with Hezbollah and the? Uh, physically, uh, the, a few a few days after Simchas Torah, I felt not safe because I, we were all in a panic. I didn't know yeah, what was going to happen yeah. the next day. Um, but but it feels like nobody even knows that we exist. Up oh, okay. Here. Yeah, wow. it's like there's been nothing. And we're never in the news. There's never been a terrorist attack here. Yeah, yeah. There was one murder, but that was an inside job. Or so. Nobody knows who did it. Okay. Rada, and there was wow. a whole documentary about it on Netflix, the only murder ever happening in Katsuri. <laughs> um, so uh, your question was, what, what's the Endgame Investor about? Hmm. Um, well, basically, it's not a trading service. I'm not trying to make people money by trading gold and silver it's a philosophical service if you if you understand that everything is crazy mm. it all goes back to money and then i explain how it all goes back to money it all goes back to inflation <clears throat> and uh, i'm i'm using uh, the the tenets of the austrian school of economics which which preaches that economics is a, is a science of logic. It's not a science of empiricism. Okay. Um, sort of like math, right? Two plus two equals four. So if you're going to show me empirically that it's not, I'll say, well, something's wrong with your measurements. Mm. So 
For example, in economics, if somebody tells me that minimum wage isn't going to cause unemployment, I'll say, well, I don't care what studies you show me, it will. Yeah, okay. Uh, so it, it, you can't prove economic principles with empirical data, right? It, you have economic principles by logic. Supply and demand is a logical yeah. deduction, right? Okay. Uh, so that's, that's, the, that's the main principle of Austrian economics that I follow. <laughs> in terms of um, focusing people in on the money, um, my point in, this, in, in my newsletter is to encourage people to stack physically gold and silver outside of the system okay. as much as possible, as much as responsibly possible. It doesn't mean sell everything and buy gold and silver and, and zero out your bank account going to that. I'm not saying that, but like, understand that it is money and it's the money that's the problem that's the root cause of all of this stuff because when the government prints money what they're actually doing is they're leeching the gold value of the dollar away from you and then spending it on whatever they want to spend it on and then your dollar becomes less valuable okay. uh, but once once the uh, the gold value of the dollar is all sucked out then there's hyperinflation and that can be manageable if you're talking about uh, a currency that isn't the U.S. dollar because all other currencies are derivatives of the dollar, right? It, there's, okay. a, there's a pyramid here. It starts with silver. On top of that is gold. And then on top of gold is the dollar. On top of the dollar is every other currency. Well, why is silver at the bottom? Um, silver is at the bottom because it was the original money. Okay. Move to also in Hebrew we talk about Kesef, yeah. Kesef which is silver. So yes, halachic, halachically silver is money and gold is a commodity. Oh, wow. And that's, uh, that's in Perak uh, Ravi of Bava Metziah. I think Hazav Kones Akesef, Akesef Eno Kones Hazav. But that's a little bit of an academic point. Um, okay. you know, historically, silver is money um, because that was the first, that was the most liquid commodity that was first traded for every other Because there's a thing. lot more silver than they, there is gold. It doesn't, do doesn't have to do with being a lot more. Um, it has to do with it being more liquid. Okay. Uh, the, cha the price of it changes the slowest or the least with every transaction okay. because the, simultaneously the most amount of people want to buy it and the most amount of people want to sell it at the same time, which is what makes it a money. Mm. Um, <clears throat> the move to a gold standard was back in 1873 uh, as an attempt to control the wealth because you can't really control silver. You can't control the silver supply. It's everywhere. It's it was, everyone everyone it was has it. Nixon? It was Nixon, right? Uh, in 1873? No, that was... was um, 1873? Oh, 1873. <laughs> Sorry. I'm like way before all of that. Thinking about... Um, was it when they took the gold, the dollar off? They took the, the dollar off the silver standard in 1873. They put it on a gold standard, and that had the effect of robbing the, the purchasing value of everyone who had silver and giving it to everyone who had gold. And who had gold? The rich people. Who had silver? The middle class. So it was, it was wealth transfer. It's the same thing that they do every time. Okay. And, that, and then once you, once you can control the money supply through gold, uh, it's not that you can control it, but it's much more centralizable. Because mm. the gold supply is much smaller, much more concentrated. Okay. Um, so that is, in, in the end, what enabled FDR to basically steal the entire gold supply, stuff it into Fort Knox, and then he had his paper money that he was able to give in its place. Um, okay. It's another historical point. So the gold standard isn't really what we want to go back to. We want to go back to free market money. Um, but all, all um, to the point where everything that is insane today has to do with inflation, when you have the, the government printing money and handing it out to its connected parties, to its cronies, then they're going to control everything. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, and <clears throat> what they don't understand, and what I try to clarify in the endgame investor, 
is that what they don't even get, like evil has its own, evil is insatiable, but it doesn't understand its own weakness, that, every, that, that the dollar only has value because it's still exchangeable for gold. Once that's no longer the case, they've lost their ability to inflate, they, and they can't do it anymore, and then everything falls apart. Okay, and this is something that you think will definitely happen. Absolutely, yes. And maybe possibly even this year, or very soon. Possibly this year. I might be wrong about the timing, but it's it's absolutely going to happen, and it's it's very close. I can't and give you exactly when, but that's this is the end game. So that's a very that's a very scary thought. Is it is it scary? Is it good? Well, like what what can we expect? I mean, that that seems to me like it's it, it's an unknowable change. Like we don't know we don't exactly know what to expect from that. Like. Um, I, mean, yeah. I mean, if I think about something like that happen, I, I can see that they might try to put something else in place to kind of stabilize the economy yeah. or to stabilize their, their control over the world. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, we go back to Austrian, uh, Austrian methodology being a science of logic rather than empiricism. I can tell you that logically it's impossible. That, that can't happen. You can't, you can't, the gold is the bottom of the monetary pyramid or silver, whatever, yeah, same yeah. thing. Um, once the, the that, that animates the rest of it. Okay. So once the gold value of the dollar is zero, sorry, or, or infinity, you know, the inverse of that, uh, and, and the, the gold price in dollars goes to infinity, the silver price in dollars goes to infinity, then there's nothing you can replace it with. You have to okay. go back to the base. You have to go back to gold and silver. Nothing else will work because the entire pyramid, all the way up to Bitcoin and NFTs, draws its value from the bottom. Okay. Right. And this this has to be logically necessary because you how how is how is any what we call a fiat currency? How is that even how does it even happen? No, there is no instance ever in history where a government said we're making a currency out of nothing and we're going to give it to you, and here's the prices of everything, and this is what you're going to start with. Like, that doesn't make any, that's, you can't set prices, so instituting a currency based on nothing would be setting the price of everything simultaneously, which is like extra impossible, right? Okay. Prices, prices can only be set by the free market, by people making decisions, and it always changes because supply and demand of everything all the time is changing every second. Yeah. So, Every time that the government institutes a currency, it's over some other existing price array, mm. right? And they say, okay, this currency is exchangeable for, you know, the, the, the new shekel is now exchangeable for a thousand old shekels. The old shekel is based on the dollar. Uh, the, the new shekel is basically the dollar, and the dollar is still a gold substitute, a gold derivative. Okay. So once the dollar falls, the shekel falls, because the shekel is just a dollar derivative. Okay, I see, yeah. So what, back to your question, like, what happens will they institute something else? Well, when the pyramid falls over, if you add another floor to it, it's still on the ground. Mm. Oh, I it's, see. it's not possible. That's why, okay. that's why we have this story of Migdal Bavel. Like, the, if, if society, the of, that's, of, it's, of, that's the first yeah. communist society. Okay. The communists weren't the first people to figure, oh, let's, let's you know, focus on one thing, mm. and we'll do that thing, and then everyone will be happy. Like what was what was Russia's idea when it was communist? Like we're gonna we're gonna export a certain amount of potatoes, so we're gonna take all the water from the Aral Sea and then produce all these potatoes, and then like five years later or twenty years later, whatever it was, the Aral Sea is destroyed and everyone's poor. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. you can't you can't do this. Once the tower falls, you have to build up from the bottom. That means that there will be some degree of anarchy. Yeah. Uh, but the powerful people will have no more power. Okay. They won't. 
And do you think this will then obviously create like a power vacuum of some sorts? Like, what are we what are we looking at? Like, what do we expect to? What do you expect will happen? Because, I mean, nobody is trading. I mean, you know, I'm I'm not a <clears throat> I'm certainly not a wealthy person. I have almost zero, almost zero. I think my son has got one <laughs> kind of coin of silver, and that's that's what the silver that we have in our house. You know, we don't have gold. Maybe some some jewelry, mm -hmm. but um, how do you know? How would silver become fluid again? Or become the economy again? How would people? Very simply, um, silver is liquid. It's because all dollars that are exchanged now are really silver derivatives. Because as I told you before, like you can't just create a price or add of nothing. It has to be based in the past. So if it's it's, it's always based in the past money started with silver and gold. Okay. Money is just another term for the most liquid commodity at, in a given economic system at, at a certain time. Right? Okay. So that happens to be occupied by gold and silver. Um, now, when, what happens when the dollar collapses and it has no more gold value? Well, try to give dollars to anyone and they won't accept it. They won't give you anything for them. So like, no one's going to use dollars, so then what are you going to use? Like, you'll use, you'll use the most liquid item that you have. If it's only your house, I mean, that's going to be a problem. You'll have to sell it to, so you don't starve. But if you have a more liquid commodity like silver, you'll, mm -hmm. you'll be in luck. Because what's going to happen is that the price of silver is going to be so dramatically crazy high for a very short period of time as a signal that this is the most important thing to get flowing out into the economy right now. And wow. what is that? That's money. Because without a money, you have no division of labor. Without a division of labor, you have a zombie apocalypse. So if you can't divide your labor through money, nobody can fit into this production scheme that we call civilization. You can't fit in. You don't know what you're supposed to do. Yeah. So what do you do? You just hit your neighbor over the head with a hammer and you take his stuff. Mm. Because there's nothing else you can do. You can't, if you can't trade, you have to kill. Yeah. Right? And that, I do think that will be the case for a short period of time. That for a short period of time, there's going to be a lot of extremely destitute people that will have absolutely nothing. Okay. And, and the stacker's responsibility, moral responsibility, when that will see that signal when the price of silver and gold are just so high in terms of other things mm -hmm. that, that it's the economy begging, please put this thing in circulation so people can fit into a division of labor so we can stop killing each other. Right? That, that's how to, stop the, how to stop the zombie apocalypse. Spend your money. Okay. But in order to do that, you need money to spend. And this other stuff, the shekels and the dollars and the stocks and the bonds, it's all inflated garbage. Yeah, okay. So, so to me, it looks more like it's inevitable that we will have a zombie apocalypse. And it's, it seems to me like um, even with the wars going on now and the talk of, you know, everybody's talking about World War Three mm -hmm. and dropping atom bombs and, you know, how it... I don't know if that would be like something that they that these the people who are in control because you know the, it, it always sounds crazy to say they these people that them you know like we don't really know the elite or the people who are really Do the governments not, who are in, in control yeah. of this this system. Okay, so the, there's there's no there's no single person or power in control here. Yeah. But that we, this is a is a lesson we learned from Korah, right? So we have a Tanakh here, and you know. I'll, I'll look it up. Uh, let's see. Sure. It's in Bamidbar Balach uh, Korach. So the beginning of Parsha's Korach. This is the, the rebellion against Moshe Rabbeinu. So in the beginning it says, um, 
So, Ovaikach Korach Ben Yitzhar Ben Kas Ben Levi Vedathanu Aviram Ben Eliyad Be'on Ben Peleth Ben Erevin. So, a bunch of this, this coalition of power hungry people try to go up and challenge Moses. Of Moshe Rabbeinu. Ve'yakumu lifnei Moshe Ba'anashim Ibn Yitzhar Ha'amashim Ha'athayim Yisayi Dakri Yomer Anshe Shem Ve'yikahalu. So, they, they, it's, it's, using, it's using a plural uh, word here, Ve'yakumu. And with, um, with Moshe, it's, it's using a singular. So, the Midrash talks about this change from plural to singular. Why is it talking about plural when it's talking about Korach and singular when it's talking about Moshe? Because Rick, it wasn't Korach talking. It wasn't, he, he wasn't leading this. He, he was the spokesman. But everyone in his group of yeah. 200 had, had different ideas for what they wanted to do as a leader, right? They're, okay. they're not united. They only seem to be. All right. Yeah. So there's no single evil group where we could like cut the head off the snake and then yeah. it'll go away. Because it's a, it's a multi-headed monster. Yeah. Yeah. And it feeds itself off of inflation. And once that's gone, then, yeah, maybe they have a lot of gold and silver. Maybe the bad people have a lot of money. But that's fine. Let them spend it in circulation. Okay. okay. And then they'll have less. And then we'll have more. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me think of, um, of the, the book of Daniel where he talks where, you know, there's this dream that King Nebuchadnezzar has where mm-hmm. he sees the statue of all these, um, these empires that were that will be after his empire, you know, he's the head of gold, and then the statue has got arms of silver, yeah. and, you know, and goes down to... It goes uh, to feet, iron, feet iron, and, iron and clay, yeah. which is the last um, empire, it's kind of a divided empire. Mm-hmm. And then the stone that's carved out without, it says, without hands, human hands, will roll down and will destroy the statue and will disappear into chaff. It will just um, be blown away into dust, into the wind and be completely destroyed. And, you know, it's, it talks about the man-made um, systems, basically, um, over history that will come to an end and how this new system, or the, you know, which is basically the Torah, will become widespread throughout the world. Yeah. and will It's not a new system, it's just... Uh... It's, yeah, it's an existing system, but <laughs> yeah. it will be uh, replacing all these old, old man-made systems. So... Then at the at the end of the book of, of Daniel, like talks about the um, there's this this ruler will that will come about and will set up this thing that's called the abomination and makes desolate. It sounds like a like a system that's being set up. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, when I when I think about this this impending financial collapse, that it somehow connects to this um, this thing that they want to create this new. You know, if you think of the, the World Economic Forum and those guys, how they were talking about this new world order or this new setup that they're trying to, mm. to put into place, that maybe for some period there would be this an attempt to, to put up a new system, but then eventually they will also collapse and be destroyed. Uh, look, worldwide slavery is possible, but not for a very long period of time. The Soviet Union tried it. It lasted 70 years, and they weren't the whole world. And the, and, uh, the reason that they were able to last 70 years is because they were basing their prices for their goods and services on the West, which had a basically more or less free market. Um, but if you have total world slavery, then you have no prices for anything. Mm-hmm. And then it collapses much quicker because everybody eats each other, um, if not. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm not worried about this whole World Economic Forum stuff. I know, I know they're trying to enslave us all. I understand that. I'm not denying it. But I'm saying, like, in order to really enslave people, you need a lot of money. And they've already spent it all. 
And what about um, other methods of control, like using, like, I mean, psychologically, they're dropping the bomb on us already, you know, like the atom bomb. They're always talking about it. It's in news, in the media. Mm -hmm. You know, they're making new kind of weapons of doom that they are. Okay, well, how do you get that information? You get that information from the internet and from your phone, and, and how do you get a phone? You have to pay the electric bill, and who, and who supplies the electric companies? They have to dig up you know, commodities from the ground in order to supply the power to give them electricity to put into your phone so you can listen to the internet. All this goes away. I mean, you can't, okay. you can't, t you can't communicate if there's no money, yeah. right? The, the minute the dollar collapses, nobody can pay anybody. I mean, some people can pay people with gold and silver, but like it's going to take some time for these centers of real money to, to, to spread out from, from the different focal points and then create another system of, uh, of, of monetary exchange, right? And that system is going to look a lot different than, mm. than this one because this one is based on, on, on power centers that have the ability to inflate the currency over the current gold supply so that, that all the money flows into these certain corrupt pockets. Yeah. But when people are starving and you need to have real value for your exchanges, you stop listening to the internet, you stop doing all these stupid things, you stop, uh, you know, the, these professors that teach gender theory or whatever they're doing in university, they're gonna have no value yeah. So they have to go out and like, you know, plant stuff or do something that will help them survive. Yeah. Uh, and all the non-essential, in the real way, non-essential, not like they use the term non-essential when they're trying to shut everything down. But like the real people that nobody needs, they're, they're either going to work or die. Yeah. And uh, the people with real skills that can do things um, and with real money, if you, if you don't have skills, you should have money uh, you know, so that you can uh, pay people who have skills to help you. Yeah, um, or buy food. So yeah, this is, this is all, it's all gonna go away and it's all because of the inflation. Once they can no longer inflate, you'll see the radical shifts in the economy where, where resources are gonna be poured into things that we actually need and resources are, are, are going to be pulled away from things that we do not need. And unfortunately, the problem is a lot of the retirees or, and a lot of the welfare recipients and a lot of the today's bureaucrats and government workers who might be good people, they're going to lose their jobs okay. and they're not going to have any money. And then that's the adjustment that's going to be painful. Mm. And that's why I think that's why I'm here and not there, because when that happens, all the Jews are going to have to come together and say, OK, well, what do we do now? We either kill each other or we work together on this. And yeah. we have a much better chance of working together on this here than the Goyim do over there. Yeah. I'm not saying it's no. gonna be perfect and there's not gonna be any murders, but I, I think we're better off here among our family than we are among the Goyim who when they run out of money, they're gonna start eating each other. To me, obviously, all these things have got a lot to do with prophecies that you know, our prophets of old have as, um, written down in the, that's written down in the Tanakh. It talks about mm -hmm. the end time and the coming of the Mashiach and the, the or what's referred to as the Shabbat, like the, the thousand years, you know, of rest mm -hmm. and of peace that, that will come eventually, you know, after this time of turmoil. But it does describe, you know, if you think of the book of Ezekiel, where it talks about the wars of Gog and Magog and this big mm -hmm. time of tribulation that we will, the whole world will go through. You know, who's really responsible for all these things happening? You know, it's, it's mismanagement or the governments or who's to blame at the end of it? At the end of the day, you know, like Einod Milvado, you know, there's nobody but 
God, right? So mm -hmm. uh, in effect, God is doing all of these things or he's allowing it to happen. What's hectic about it is that, you know, the words that the prophets use are really, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a hectic time. It's, a, it's not, not going to be an easy time to, to go through and for the whole world. It says that the whole world will be, will be it's basically the judgment of God on the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, how the nations, you know, he uses language like how the nations will be completely destroyed. He will also hit Israel with, uh, it says, with the, with the blows of an enemy. You know, there will also be, it talks about, usually about how there's these two-thirds of the people that will be destroyed and one third will come through fire and be mm -hmm. refined and they will be the remnant that would be uh, be invited to enjoy the life after this, this all these calamities and mm -hmm. this restructure and the, you know talks about if you think of Gog and Magog something will happen that's similar to could sound similar to something like atomic bombs being being dropped and mm -hmm. you know the the language that he describes are how the nations that will surround Israel and come against Israel to destroy us um, will be will be destroyed mm -hmm. and uh, yeah it just seems to me that we are living in that time and I'm, I'm really excited about it because um, you know obviously it's going to be <laughs> It's going to be a very tough and very hard time, but it is, we still have to have some kind of, we have to stay hopeful and we have to keep our focus on, um, on doing what is right, right? And, and being yeah. good people and uh, living the, the, the Torah and I, I think speaking out about what is, you know, what, it, what, what the Torah is really about and what truth, you know, the, the truth that we can, of this Torah system that, that God, that is in existence, but we we kind of ignoring it, and God will reveal that to be truth to all to all people to the survivors, mm -hmm. and people will choose that because we will be aware that this is the path that we need to to walk, and that the the Torah way is the is the is the good way and it's the right way for humanity to to live in peace and harmony and in prosperity together, mm -hmm. and to receive God's blessing on on the land and on the people and on, on uh, our offspring and to really think about um, the next generation and the world that we're leaving behind for them, right? That's, that's really what's, what's very important for us to, to know and to think about and for you know, the people out there to, I think, you know, to, to focus on, right? Yeah. Uh, you, t you started out by saying that... Uh you know, is this mismanagement? Who do we blame? Uh, God's letting this happen. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course God's letting this happen. God's, God's job isn't to prevent us from making mistakes. When you're a parent, you don't prevent your kid from making mistakes. You let him make the mistake, and then he sees what happens, and then hopefully he becomes better. Now, when you're talking about multi-generational history of thousands of years, the kid is the nation. Um, you know, the, the Jewish people are the nation, and we, we make the same mistakes over and over again. Mm. And then uh, hopefully we learn from some of them, uh, and from a lot of them we don't. We have to go through it again. Uh, but who, what's responsible for this? Well, we created a society that's based on theft. You know, the monet, meaning the going back to the monetary system again. The whole monetary system is based on the concept that theft is good, because it's an inflationary system. 
and inflation. Just, just for the fact that it's inflationary means that it's theft, that it's taken. Yes, inflation is by definition theft. Okay. Um, because what what you're doing is you're lying about how much money you actually have by just passing around receipts. Mm. And that that if you if you're the one who creates those receipts out of nothing, then you can take those to claim other people's stuff, right? And then pretend that it's money. Yeah. That's it's just theft. Okay. Um, and so if you have you can have a society where there's thieves and punish them and that works you can't have a society where the whole thing is based on an idea of theft as a as a good thing because mm. eventually everyone in that society is going to die okay because once you steal enough stuff you don't have anything and then everybody starves yeah right? that's what that's what Sajago says in Emilus Videos why can't we steal because if you can steal then everybody dies yeah. Um, and, that, and that's why that's why the Dor Hamabul, that's why the flood generation, that's how they got destroyed because they said that okay, stealing is fine now. Yeah, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting to me that you know talking about the generation of the flood before uh, Noah's flood um, is that it's you know that was clearly like an obviously an extinction event, and it seems to me like we're also heading, the world is heading towards some kind of extinction event. Um, as we move forward and yep. that it's really kind of brought about by um, um, a few a few things like like at the root of it you know you were talking about how money is is you know money is, is a tool right it's just a tool that we're using but it's a tool that we're misusing and people use it for Corruption and I wouldn't even say it's a power. tool. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say money is a tool. It's like if you if you say that it's a tool, then then you, what you're saying is that somebody invented it, like they invented a hammer to like hit things. Okay. It's not a tool. It wasn't invented. It, money isn't an invention of human beings. It just it just happens to be the commodity that is the most liquid, so that it's easy easiest to trade it. So okay. it's not like somebody said, oh, you know what? If we had a money, then we could engage in in commerce better and then oh well, how's the money going to work well i'm going to make out of this i'm going to shape it like that not, there was no committee there was no okay, inventor yeah, yeah. of money like there's an inventor of the phone like thomas edison okay fine he invented the phone yes. nobody invented money money is just exchanging things for other things mm. like it's just trade okay and it works best with money because money changes price least and what why does it change price least because oh whatever you could say that it because silk gold and silver their, their, their supplies are constant, they're mined at the same rate in accordance with population. It just happens to be that you can't, you, you can't uh, damage gold and mm. it doesn't, it, it's fungible, you can melt it down. You, what, all these properties, that's just what makes it a money. So it's not a tool, it's just okay. a thing. All right. And, uh, but what I wanted to say is that okay. what's, what's interesting to me, um, you know, we can, you can think about Sodom and Gomorrah as well, like just before Sodom and Gomorrah mm. were destroyed, um, that like kind of the sense that were that the people were per perpetrating at that at that time, and how there was it seems to be like this con this similar confusion that we have now where of gender gender confusion, right? Mm -hmm. Which is something that's very pro seems to become more prolific as we get closer to this <laughs> to this uh, eventual um, yeah in end time um, or. Uh, you know, a time where there's going to be extreme, extreme wars and and even natural disasters and those kind of things. Um, but not just that. You know, how power, how how money and greed is really 
attached to that in a sense. Like people are power hungry and they want to control other people and they want to control nature or they want to have this kind of, I, I guess it's, it, it's like the Pharaoh of old, you know, where he's like the, he sees himself, himself as God. Yeah, well, I, I will say here something a little controversial. It goes into my thoughts on what anti-Semitism is and what we should do about it. Okay. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, there's nothing wrong with the drive for power, the drive to control. That's natural. It's human. We all have it. We, want, we, all, we all want to control something, mm. right? Some people are more power hungry than others, but I'm power hungry in that I want to control certain things about my life. Yeah. Um, and, but, so if you have this really power hungry person, as long as he knows that he cannot steal, mm. it's fine. Like, yeah. let, him, let him organize a business. Let him make it as big as he wants. Uh, as long as he's not stealing, uh, if, he, if he wants to exact his control over some industry because he's, like, he's really into, like, controlling business, yeah. fine. I mean, he'll make a really efficient business, hopefully, if he's talented. Mm. The problem is, when you allow theft and you say it's good, then you, then you take all these power-hungry people and they, it's like, you know, putting them on cocaine. They can do whatever they want. Yeah. And then we become the victims because we're not really into that so much. We just want to control our own lives. Mm. So you, you, have to, you, have, you have to take away the ability for them to steal. And what gives them the ability to steal? Un unfortunately, a lot of it is us, the Jews, right? Okay. You, you, um, because uh, this is the way I see, I see it. Like, Jews are very, very talented. Mm. We're talented at, I don't know, chemistry, physics, Gemara, whatever you want to say. Like, we're the best at it, okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we're also really, really good at being evil. Yeah. Okay. The the best pedophile in the world ever, the most successful one, Jeffrey Epstein. He's a Jew. The yeah. most successful central banker is the one who prints the who print the most money. They're usually Jews. So it's not like a Jewish conspiracy to take over the world, but it's it's if you have a, a power hungry Jew in power, yeah. it's he's going to cause a lot of damage. I think I think a lot of it has got to do with Jews just um, realizing the the system that's that's all that's in play. Like if I think of Israel as a, a secular state as well. And here now, we, the Jewish people came together, we created this state of Israel. Yeah. And now we're entering this game of the world. Like we, we, finally we are able to have our own security, make, make our own weapons. And, and it's like the leaders are realizing, okay, we, we have to play this game of the world if we want to be able to yeah, that's protect ourselves and, and be able to rise to the top, kind of, right? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the game that the world is playing is not a Torah game. Right, we're still in, we're still in Gullahs. The, the, the perfect story that mimics what is going on now is, is Yo Yosef, mm. right? Yosef is in charge of Egypt, but he's not really in charge of Egypt. He's the second in command. And what does he do? He basically steals the entire food supply monopolizes the money supply, gives all to Paro, who enslaves his entire country, and then they all get angry, like, Yosef, he enslaved us all. What the hell is this? Let's enslave yeah, them instead. Yeah. It's the same story over and over and over again. This is what we do in exile. We take over monetary systems, we print a bunch of money or collect all the money, and then we, and then we have all this power, and then everybody hates us. Happened again in the story of Purim. Mm. Right? The, that, was, that was centered around Sarat Alephim Kikar Kesef, that uh, Haman's idea was... You know he's going to pay for he's going to pay up front to kill all the Jews because he'll just take all the money later, okay. and uh, and pay himself back, and then and and then the, the king's like oh don't worry about that just keep the money, and uh, you can you can you can pay for you can I'll, I'll pay for it and you keep you keep all the spoils whatever just do what you want, and then what happened you know uh, Esther takes over the government Mordechai takes over the government yeah and and then the midrash I just read this in midrash Rabbah, what's the first thing that Mordechai did he made a coin 
He coined uh, there's a, a coin with Mordechai on one side and Esther on the other side. Not the pictures, but the words. Okay. And he so he created a monetary system. So that's oh. what we do. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, we like, we like realize the system, and we we want to be a part of it, and uh, kind of I guess take some uh, influence there. Yeah. But I I realized that you know we live in this this world where it seems to me that a lot of value that's created in the world or most value that's created in the world is kind of exploitative. You know, we kind of we are either extracting it through some kind of exploitative la labor force out of the ground. You know, taking even gold and, and silver. You know, having mm -hmm. either slaves over history digging out. The, the minerals, you know, like extracting value from something, from nature, or from, or by using people like switch sweatshops in China, you know, creating products, or even like in our phones, how we have the cobalt that's mined in, you know, most of the cobalt in the world that comes from the Congo that's mined by all the basically it's slave labor, you know, it's basically people, women and even children in very bad conditions mining out these toxic minerals so we can have mobile phones mm -hmm. how, how do we you know what what is what is a world what do you think a world would look like where and i don't even know if it's possible to have a world where we don't i mean certainly hope so where we don't need to exploit people or nature or the environment to have things you know do we really need these things like that's a fantasy that's never going to happen i mean you think so I, you're asking, are we going to go back to Gun Aiden where we don't have to do anything? No, we're not. You don't think we'll go back to Gun Aiden? No. <laughs> not in this I world. I certainly hope so. I hope that we can one day live in a world where we, we live in a Gun Aiden. We, we planting, we, we're more closer to nature, to, to, to planting our food and food forest or whatever. Well, planting is exploitation. Everything you do is exploitation. I mean, you, could, you could define it that way. You, you extract anything. I mean... Uh, there, in the in the Torah say you should you know dig up some copper from its mountains. Yeah, we're supposed yeah, yeah. to do that. Um, the 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 question is like, at what point does it really become exploitative, and what point doesn't it? Okay. And the answer is when you steal or when you force. Yeah. Like these pe these kids that are in the cobalt mines, why mm. are they there? Is it because if they don't, they're going to get whipped? No. I mean, maybe in some cases, I don't, I'm not saying, I'm not making a blanket statement, but like, yeah, I think yeah. generally speaking, when you're talking about a sweatshop, they're there because if they're not there, they're going to die. Yeah, they don't have, they, they get, have nothing even, else even to do. Even if they get like only $10 a, a month. Right? That's not exploitation, that's a, that's a deal. Like, okay, you can dig in this cobalt mine. I'm not, say, I'm not saying it's great, but if they weren't, if those mines weren't there, what would these kids be doing? They'd probably be prostituting themselves on the street. Um, so, okay. Uh, the, that's the whole sweatshop argument. Like the yeah. the whole the whole thing of the the response of these liberals that say, "Oh, I'm not going to buy from from uh, uh, Kuala Lumpur. I'm not going to buy a shirt from there because it's, there's a sweatshop." Okay, so you're going to boycott children in Kuala Lumpur who are starving. You're going to boycott them. What do you think is going to happen to them? They're yeah. going to they're going to have a better life because you're boycotting their product. What are you crazy? They're gonna die. Yeah. <laughs> like, they don't have any alternative. Oh, so so the so the Western oh, because I'm I'm so moral because I'm boycotting Kuala Lumpur. Yeah. You know, while because you're doing that, you're killing children. That's yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. So uh, the, again, it goes back to exploitation is stealing. Yeah. Okay. And non-exploitation is trading. Now the question: What what do you do with all these private? Like, like if you have you have a mountain there and you want to dig it up or mine it, and then you mine it all and then there's no more mountain. 
well, okay, uh, you know, then there's going to be like a shortage of mountains, and then other mountains are going to be very valuable, and you're not going to want to dig up the rest of them because it's going to be a tourist attraction, or here's the only mountain left in the country. But yeah. my point is that, that there's supply and demand for everything. And if you have an honest money, an honest monetary system, where there's private property, these things get worked out by the price system where you have a balance of exploitation and, and wild uh, nature yeah, uh, yeah. that works out. But it all gets lopsided when there's inflation and you can keep printing and, and digging. And it, it's like when you have a fever, your, your body temperature is not supposed to be 105 and things will start to get out of whack. But yeah. then when you're, when, you're, when you're better again, like things start to work. So all this environmental degradation, it's because of inflation. It incentivizes people, it, it incentivizes, uh, like, um, I'm trying to figure out a process here to explain this. So let's say uh, that the government prints a bunch of money, and that leads to higher gas prices, okay? Yeah. And then gas prices are really high, so that encourages more oil companies to dig up more oil. Mm. Right, and then you have more exploitation of the oil. So, the, one of the reasons that we're so dependent on oil is because of the inflation that causes gas prices to rise because of the inflation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, so that's all out of whack. So it's like a a circle that keeps on the the problem. The snake yeah, that's biting its own tail. The kind problem of. isn't the exploitation. The problem is that everything is out of proportion mm. Mm. because of the inflation. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So. In, in the world, in the, you know, what, if, if I think of the Torah and, and certain rules are, about the Torah and, and what we can expect for the world to come, you know, when Mashiach is here and, mm -hmm. you know, Bezrat Hashem, we, we survive, you and I and our families and, <laughs> and hopefully everybody we know. And, uh, and we're spared for this time. It seems to me that we, when we go back to the Torah and this, there's, there's this idea in the Torah that the land, the land gets, you know, you get an inheritance of the land. Mm -hmm. So to me, it seems that, that that part of the Torah where everybody has a piece of land that, number one, is, stay, it stays your inheritance. Like, it can't be taken away from you. It's your piece of land, and you can build your house there and live there and run your business there or plant your gun Eden there if you want, your garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. That would solve a lot of the world's problems. Because first of all, you you don't need to then you you can you know create a life for yourself and you can sustain yourself if you know how to farm and, and plant trees and grow food and it's something that you don't need to, to pay anybody to be there. You don't need to pay taxes to be on the land. But that system is, is is purposefully like that so people so you don't have people living in the streets and and have to deal with so much unemployment like. For instance, some of the problems that's faced in the modern world, you know, especially in America and even in South Africa, you know, where people live in really terrible conditions because they have nothing and or they have to they have to pay um, every month to just be able to live in a place. You know, mm -hmm. um, do you have any thoughts on, on that? Like, what would uh, what, what effect would that have on an economy and on the world? Like, wouldn't the world the world would definitely be a better place if that would be the case, right? Okay, so you're saying, this is what you're saying, if I were to, to dumb it down into basic economic terms. There's a whole bunch of land. The government in all kinds of countries say, you can't do anything with that. Here's a slum. 
stay here. Yeah. And if you try to build anything on land, we'll arrest you. So why don't you stop doing that? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, free, free, like, how, do, how does ownership, how do, how do we come to maintain ownership of something? Well, there's a piece of land, and then you do something with it, and then it becomes yours. Yeah. Right? That's the beginning, that's, that's the beginning of Adam's uh, curse after he leaves Gan Eden. Like, like you're going to work hard, you're going to plant stuff, you're going to eat bread, it's going to be hard, mm. but from there comes property. So are you saying that people should be allowed to build whatever they want, wherever they want, on a, on a place that's not owned, not previously owned? Yeah, should. And then you yeah. become responsible for it. And if you pollute because of that, you're responsible for that. Yeah. Um, we should, it, the, the, the Torah system is that, you know, everyone has an allotment from Yehoshua. I don't know if, exactly how that would work or... Yeah, they but, would. I mean, but, also in the, prophet, in the prophets, it talks about how the land will be again divided for the tribes of Israel will be divided up okay. and everybody will have their portion. Maybe. And I can see how that, you know, how, how it will solve those kind of problems like homelessness or people living on the streets or, you know, people not having work. Because if you think about the Shemitah, the laws about Shemitah, mm-hmm. you know, where you have seven year, six years of, of um, working the field, working the land and with, a, with the servants, you know, if you have servants, and then in the seventh year, the servants would go free, meaning they would return to their own land. So they have their own land, they have a place to go, they get some sheep from you, or they get some of your produce, they've learned in six years, they've learned how to manage the land, for instance. Mm-hmm. So now they're, they're a professional as well, they can become a, ma- a master themselves. So they return to their own land and now they can provide and build their own family or provide for their own family. And it seems to me like this system is really one of the core things about the Torah that's makes it a legitimate and true system that is a fair system that will create this kind of peace and prosperity for people, you know, if it's governed in the way the Torah suggests to us. Mm-hmm. Um, then because the- even then, if you don't have money or you don't have necessarily, you're not necessarily wealthy or have any silver or gold, you can still, you know, find seeds and plant and, and have sheep or whatever and have food and you know, make stuff and trade with people around you, like the bordering system. Yishuv Eretz Yisrael is a mitzvah. Mm. If Yishuv Eretz Yisrael is a mitzvah and we were supposed to homestead land, we're supposed to build things, we're supposed to, you know, channel resources, that's what we're supposed to do. That's a mitzvah in the Torah. So if the government says, well, you can't do that over there because of some municipal regulation or whatever, like, or zoning, that's us, sir. You can't do that. Like, the government has no power to do that. They can't stop you from building wherever you want in Eretz Yisrael as long as you're not on somebody else's property. Yeah. That's it. So what you're saying, again, it comes down to the government should stop stealing. Stop stealing the land. Yeah. Just leave us alone. <laughs> yeah, so, so theft is really what you would say is at the, at the core of... Theft is at the of core most. of all of this, everything. Yeah. Right, that's, that's where it starts. And uh, I, I quote this a lot, that at the beginning of Yeshayahu... Um, uh, he said, this is the very beginning of Yeshayahu, uh, when he's uh, lamenting how corrupt society has become. He says, sigim. Your silver has become dross. And so the, the, um, the Malbim on that Pasuk says that, that this isn't, a, he's not saying this figuratively. He's not saying, oh, you used to be shiny and now you're not shiny. Mm-hmm. He's saying, how did the, he's, he's answering the question, well, how did this happen? Because a few seconds before, Yeshua was like, how did, how did the, this Yerushalayim, how did it become like a den of murderers? How, 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 how could this even have happened? Yeah. And his answer is, 
because you clipped the coins. Like yeah. you started to, you started with the theft. It started slowly. It yeah. started with okay, you know, I'll just add a little bit of dross to the silver so I can save mm -hmm. some money, or I'll add some water to this wine and sell it as you know pure. That that's how it started. Once you justify that because you want to clip some corners, eventually you're going to turn into a society of murderers. Mm. So it all it all starts with theft. It all starts with inflation. All of this theft everywhere starts with that. So you get rid of you start respecting private property, you start respecting the mitzvahs like Yeshua Eretz Yisrael, and you get the government out of our lives, and things will improve. It's not, uh, you know, I'm not looking for somebody to say, oh, I have a system in my head, mm. and if we apply this system, everything will be better. Yeah. Like, we just have to start following the mitzvahs. We have the system. It's, it's Tariq yeah, mitzvahs. There, we just yeah. got to do them. <laughs> Implement it, yeah. It, it, a lot of it is also, you know, in the secular, you know, I listen to a lot of secular voices as well, like um, Russell Brand and Joe Rogan and those kind of uh, people, and it, you know, mm. the, it's often that they bring it up that, you know, we, we need to move away from centralization to, we have to be de decentralized. And that, you know, that kind of connects to me to the Torah as well, because in the Torah system, you have the tribes and within the tribes, you would have this different cities and Families, the, yeah. the, the judge would sit in the, in the, in the gates of the city. So if you have an issue around, you know, something happening between you and your neighbor or whatever, you sort it out with, with, within your community and you, and you have the power within your community, so it's kind of like a decentralized system as well. Mm. <clears throat> I mean, obviously we have the, the ruling king or Mashiach in the future. So, hold on, one, one word about centralization, decentralization. And the, the secular sources like, uh, you know, these are good men, um, Russell Brand, Joe Rogan, these types of people. Mm. I'm fans of them, I like them. Um, but they, they're not that smart. They're not... Um, they don't really know what to do. Mm. They have a good. They have a good moral compass. They know that this yeah, is yeah. wrong. And yeah. farther than that, I'm not going to take them. You know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But um, when you saw, like, if they have an idea, for example, let's say Joe Rogan or Russell Brand says, you know, we should decentralize more. Okay, fine. Now they're saying like we should make a conscious decision to decentralize System A because it's become too centralized. There's a There's a bigger problem here. What? drove it to centralize itself in the first place. Like something happened that forced it to centralize, that forces these huge food conglomerates to centralize into even a bigger conglomerate and then control half the food supply or Monsanto. Or what. Mm -hmm. How did this happen? The answer is, again, inflation. Inflation yeah. causes companies to become bigger and bigger and bigger because the more debt you have, the more obsessed you are with efficiency. And all these companies have massive amounts of debt, so they need massive amounts of income, so they have to keep combining Right? When you have mm -hmm. sound money, a sound money system based on gold and silver and no inflation, you have, what you have is automatic decentralization. Okay. Right? Because, you have, because you can't, if you, if you, the only way that you can have massive conglomerates, yeah. huge companies that control enormous swaths of an economy, is if you have enough credit to, um, to, to, to force through the system. Like, uh, let's say Monsanto has to like contract for like, I don't know, a million pounds of corn or a billion pounds of corn. I don't know, whatever. But how, how are you going to have a contract on that to buy a billion pounds of corn for the year? You have to have massive amounts of money to even secure that contract. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but without an inflationary system, you don't have that money. So you have to downsize and you have to decentralize. And so you have 
instead of huge conglomerates, you have little companies. This, this one maybe sells to this city, and this, this one sells to this city. And then you have automatic decentralization, smaller farms, better farming methods. You can't farm organically on a massive agricultural scale of like thousands of acres. It's not going to work. No. But you can if you have decentralized farms, and you have decentralized farms if you have an honest money system. Well. So it's not like we have to consciously decentralize. We have to stop inflating, and then decentralization will happen. You'll see these massive conglomerates fall because they can't, they, they, they won't have the money to input the capital that, that uh, helps them survive, right? Yeah. They'll just have to break up. Okay. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that makes it easier. It's not like yeah. we have to have a genius that knows the right system. It's just that we have to stop stealing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, how are the people responsible? Because there's a responsibility, right? We have a responsibility. The responsibility for stealing the people at the top, yeah. You have a responsibility, like. Um, it's, it's our responsibility. That's why I do the end game investor, because I want people to understand this. Yeah. It, yeah, we, we have bad people at the top, yeah, but we also have us at the bottom that are earning this fiat garbage. Yeah. yeah. And we're, all, we're part of it. So we have to recognize that we can't separate it from it completely because then we'll starve, because mm. this is how it is right now. But we have to slowly get out of it by stacking gold and silver so that when it dies, you'll have what to restart a better system with. It's our responsibility. I mean, there's a, we can imagine that the, the bad people will have this like Nuremberg sort of trial in Yerushalayim by the Gdoli Hador and it, it, it yeah, feels yeah. great. Maybe, maybe that'll happen. Maybe. I don't know. Mm. But, but right now, we have to start acting from the bottom. Okay. And it's our responsibility because... If you understand it, you're responsible. How, do, how does a person get more gold and silver? Um, you, it depends where you live. <laughs> Here, it's very difficult. Is it? Yeah. You can contact me. I'll find you some. All right. Um, there's, a, there's a company that I, I buy with called iGold. Um, that they have a trick where they leave it in a, fra, sorry, in a lot for three months so it becomes putter from mom, from uh, the value-added tax. Um, because... Uh, a lot is exempt from Tax, VAT, yeah. but they have minimums, 500 ounces of silver, 16 ounces of gold. That's all. You have to go in with a bunch of people. Um, uh, to, to buy in, a, in bulk? Or what? Yeah, um, but it's better if it's not on the record. Mm. And, and iGold is on the record. If you can find someone uh, who will you know, accept cash and not give you a receipt, then, uh, then the government doesn't know you have it. Yeah. <laughs> And that's what you want. What do you, where do you think we're heading? What direction are we heading into with AI? Like, what effect is that going to have? Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Like, on, uh, what effect is what going to have? Artificial intelligence. Like, what effect will that have on, I don't know, this craziness that's heading, that we're heading towards? Like, I'm not that impressed with AI. Yeah. Um, it's just, it, what, it's, what it has done is made what's already been stupid and um, and extraneous, mm. more obviously so. Like for example, all these this this dumb academia that they have they have students like go through the forms of writing a paper as if it's academic and scientific, but it's just a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. And so instead of like it's, it was nonsense before AI, but now they can just like feed it through AI and they have AI spit out a paper at it's you and then just more, hand more it in. Pretty, more pretty nonsense. So it's like all this <laughs> stuff goes away with inflation anyway. So my feeling on AI is like we've been through this before where, you know, the Industrial Revolution, like what do you think the world's going to look like when a machine is doing all this work and then you forget yeah. how to do it with our hands and then we're all going to become stupid. Well, to an extent, yeah, that's true. 
um, uh, or uh, you know, what's going to happen with computers? You know, is, are they going to take over? And now we're talking about what's going to happen with AI. Is it going to cause all this unemployment? But that, they had the same question with machines. You know, are all these machines going to cause massive unemployment because you don't need all the labor anymore? Well, yeah, yeah so they won't do that. They'll do something else. So if mm -hmm. AI is taking care of something, then humans can do something else with their time. Fine. Um, isn't that... Isn't that like the Rambam's view of what Geula is, the messianic era? That he says everything's going to be really easy. People aren't going to have to work that much. It's not that people aren't going to have to work at all, but it's going to be really easy. Making things is going to be very, very easy, and, uh, and we can just learn most of the day. Oh. Well, that, okay, so yeah. if AI can help us, fine. And why, why, if, if we're afraid of it, well, we've been afraid of every advance since the wheel. You know? yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah. why is this any different? Okay. That's a it's a a good uh, perspective on it, I think, to have. Um, I guess just because of what people, you know, a lot of people are afraid of that it could take over or it can destroy humanity or it can be the the thing <laughs> in a list of uh, I guess everything else that there yeah. is that will destroy um, humans and bring about uh, this uh, apocalypse. Yeah, it could. Um, but I don't believe the world's going to end because I believe God is in charge. Amen. So uh, they said the same thing about nuclear weapons. We can destroy ourselves. Yes, yeah, we certainly can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what advice could you, would you give to people for what we're about to experience? Like, is there any, any advice you can give, give us? <laughs> I don't know exactly what Except what you just already said, like yeah. stack gold and solar. I don't know what exactly we're going to experience um, but uh, um, stop watching the news stop looking at the news don't believe anything you see you hear uh, stay off of social media as much as possible stay in the real world talk to people you know instead of whatsapping call yeah instead of calling visit okay um, you know, stay, keep the keep your social interactions real and alive as much as you can. Mm. Um, find people with skills who know how to do things, um, and then uh, put them in a little book. You, you know where they are, uh, and if you need something. Uh, yeah, like network networking and keeping a network with people with skills. Yeah, finding the people in your community. Maybe maybe talking to people in your community, um, finding ways of. Um, because it, it just feels to me like you know we're heading we're heading to this, and it feels to me like there's so few people who are aware of what is about to to hit the world. Everyone and is aware that something's very wrong. Very yeah. few people are aware of what. Yeah. Or what's the root of it? When did it really become? When did you become aware of? What? I, 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 there's no one moment where I became aware of everything. I'm still not aware of everything. Yeah. And uh, I woke up in in um, in layers. Okay. In bursts. Um, I guess I, I woke up, um, you could say the first time was 2008, but even before that. Oh, with the housing yeah. bubble that burst? Uh, with, uh, in 2008, I became aware that something is very wrong with the money. Mm. Um, in 2012, I became aware that libertarianism is the general direction of the answer okay. uh, because of Ron Paul. And uh, the Ron Paul campaign in 2012 really took me into Austrian economics and woke me up in that sense. Um, and uh, 2020 woke me up to the fact that this is not going to be fun. That yeah. people that that people are mostly insane, 
and uh, mo most people don't think about anything, mm -hmm. and they just follow orders, and these are the, the most sheeple. dangerous kinds of people. Because when the sheep have like benign programming, then they just walk around and you ignore them. Yeah. But when the sheep get this command from on top that we have to start, you know, finding the enemies, finding the enemies and smoking them out and forcing shots into everyone who doesn't listen and then put them in concentration camps if they don't. Yeah. That, then you, you then you become under attack, yeah. and I, that's 2020 was when I realized like these people are dangerous. Like, I, and I still haven't, I haven't fully reintegrated into society, and I don't think I ever will, because I know what these people did. I yeah. know how they behaved. I know that they're completely ignoring what they just did, and they don't even see anything wrong with what they did. They were like, oh, well, we had a pandemic, and now we don't, so everything's fine. Yeah, they justify it as a way They justified called. it, so I, I know who these people are, and I'm, a, I'm awake to that. And like, I'm like, okay, we can do business now. I can talk to you, but like... Mm. You know, uh, we're, if, if you want to fight me again, I'm, I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> um. <clears throat> yeah, I must say the pandemic is, is really something that um, also made make me realize that this, this kind of it felt to me like this kind of now a shift because you, you saw most countries in the world acting in unison. <clears throat> yeah, it's like they, everyone was ripe. Everyone was ripe for the picking. Like yeah. the people's brains have been dug out for decades because of this stupid education system that we have where the government controls what you say to kids and then nobody thinks anymore. I mean, then you have to sort of undo everything that you were taught in high school yeah. and, and then start out with nothing again. Um, and you could really see this, um, I think this is this, uh, this Belgian professor, uh, Matthias Desmet. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with his Yeah, his psychology work. of totalitarianism. Yeah, yeah and the mass, mass formation and how, you know, by by making the population afraid and continuously um, bombarding them with fear tactics, um, putting them in a kind of stressful environment and uh, isolating them and social distancing, distancing those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And how it creates this um, part of the population which just follow and do everything you tell them to do. And uh, yeah, when I, you know, when that, when I realized those kind of things are, are happening here in Israel as well, I, you know, in the beginning I was really, I was really surprised that so many people went for, um, went for the, the tactics or fell for it and, and went for the vaccines. And I didn't expect it to be that high, you know, knowing that Am Israel, the people of Israel, <clears throat> or the Jewish people went through the, through the World War II and the Holocaust and all these, this history that we have with similar kind mm -hmm. of events. Well, what, what we're going through, what we're going, well, yeah, first of all, we don't learn anything. <laughs> uh, no, we do. It's just, it's hard. The, what I see, and I discussed with, this, with my wife a few weeks ago, is that everything we're going through now with the war with Hamas, it's me to connect and me to everything we did to the world with the Pfizer and the vaccines and the way we behaved. It was disgusting. It was just absolutely disgusting. You know, the, you, you, wanna, you wanna forcibly inject people with God knows what, fine. I'll have you know, Hamas go and attack you and rape your women. You wanna put people in quarantine, fine. I'll kidnap 150 people and we'll stick them in Gaza. And then everyone's, we'll let them free now. And we'll, oh, well, be dude, there you mm -hmm. go. Um, you, wanna, you wanna test everyone with fear. And like, you, it's like with uh, the sin of the spies, with Chetan Raglim, God said, okay, you wanna cry? I'll make you cry. 
you wanna you wanna test everyone and, and give everyone tests for this virus and freak everyone out? Well, I'll give you something to be really afraid of. Mm. You know, uh, it's everything is mida connected mida. We des we deserve all of this, and I hope that the, I don't see anybody getting the message. We led the world into this mess. We were the first country to mass vaccinate um, yeah, because yeah. we BB offered our medical information on a plate to the world to, for us to be guinea pigs to everyone. Fine, yeah. you want to be guinea pigs? We'll be the guinea pigs for World War III. It'll start on your doorstep. It's, this, this, is, this is a punishment from what I see it. And um, I'm trying to do true before it, but uh, I don't see anyone else doing, or any of the sheeple that, maybe it's not for them to understand it. Maybe it's for I think us. It, I think it's very important for us to do teshuva. Um, how, how, you know, for even for people who are not um, Jews or, or Israelis, people living in the world, I do think that we, you know, the ju God's judgment is, is is on the on the world, you know, and we are gonna reap the <clears throat> we're gonna reap the reward for our actions in the world, and God will judge us. And I think that you know, this economic collapse and the calamity that will come with it is mm -hmm. part of that judgment. And this is how God will sift the nations and sift, you know, Amisrael as well. Um, how, how do people, how should people repent? How, how, how do we go about it? Um, in terms of what national repentance would look like, I don't see that as possible right now. Even for the individual. Yeah, indi Cause, look, cause ind indivi individual repentance is definitely possible. And everyone has weaknesses in their lives, whether you drink too much or, you know, you're distracted in your work or you're wasting time or, uh, you know, you're not treating people well, you're, you're yelling at your kids, whatever it might be in your life. Mm. Work on the thing that you know you need to work on the most. And that'll make you a better person. But if everyone does that, then Every, more people can become better people. You yeah. don't, we don't need that much to, we don't, you don't need this like cosmic force to make you a tzaddik, right? Yeah. What, and, uh, what conditions did the sea split? It was just, we were crying. Mm -hmm. Like we had nowhere else to turn to, so we just cried to God. And he's like, okay, fine, I'll yeah. help you. Yeah. Like it's not that hard to get him to help. It's just that we have to do it together. Yeah. Um, and the national repentance will come once the money collapses. Okay. Um, and we're all under serious pressure. I mean, that's when I, I hope the, the, the sheeple that can't really, don't have the capacity to understand what they did wrong. Mm. And it's okay. Um, but when, when the sheeple, when their money breaks down and they decide to come together instead of attack each other, that'll be enough. Yeah. Um, and then people like us who understand what went wrong here, that's why I want us to have the money. Yeah. Because we're going to be responsible for making sure that this theft system can never happen again. Uh, that's our duty. And we do that by amassing real money now so that we can be in charge when this whole thing falls. It's like we're at the bottom of, the, of Migdal Bavel, just waiting for it to collapse so that we can pick up the pieces and build something new when it's ready. While everyone else is like on the tower like, oh my God, you're missing all the stocks and all the, the, the money-making opportunities up here. I'm like, look, you're going to fall down. Like, yeah. You're going to come over here and then I'm going to pick you up. <laughs> It is amazing, though, that the prophecies do talk about how gold, gold will flood towards Israel and the nations from the nations towards Israel at the end time. So yeah, well, if we're honest that. with the money, if we're honest with the money, then I see the Beis HaMikdash as this is a possible scenario. I'm not predicting it, but um, 
if we do go back to we do come back to Torah, which we will, mm. and we set an example instead of instead of forced vaccination, we set an example of not stealing. Yeah. Then where would the safest place to store gold be in the world? It would be in the base of Mikdash. Store it there. That should be the central bank of the world. And we would keep it there. And you could circulate your currencies based on the gold supply in, in, you know, in the third temple. Something like that. Yeah. Um, wow. And not, not to force anyone to like, give gold to us. But if you want a secure place to store it, store it with the Jews. Yeah. I mean, um, you just mentioned Gaza now and the, the October 7 attacks. Um, what do you think is happening there, and what 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 should we do? You know, like, how did it affect you? Like these these horrific attacks that Hamas perpetrated on on us. Mm. Well, in the in the first few days, I was uh, it was <laughs> I was crying. Mm. Um, it was very difficult. I I didn't want to see anything that was going on. Do you have Do you know anybody? That was affected by the by the attacks personally. Some, yeah. Yeah. Um, a few, uh, some kids, some uh, soldiers who went to respond, and were killed from here. Um, I know. Uh, in terms of the initial attack, I, I don't think I know anyone personally, um, but I know people who died on that day. Um, after the uh, the initial anger and fear. Um, I was able to calm down and realize that that you know if we're go if we're going to come together, and the only way for Jews to come together is for something like this to happen, then we are headed towards the next stage of something, and that makes me excited. Um, I think there's a better way to put this, but well, <sighs> it's like a, a trauma that the, the I think the whole country experienced, like even. For you know, for me and my wife as well, we were like, even a week after, we were like, we were scrambling, because we live in the in the Shomron, and we were like, you know, people were saying, you know, it's possible that the similar thing can happen to the communities in the Shomron, because you have mm -hmm. the, you know, all the Arabs that live there in that area, and uh, you know, we were we were like in a headspin as well, and um, affected, you know, it affects you emotionally, because you know, it's like the, a trauma that's felt and and I didn't realize it at the time as well because mm -hmm. you know you're in it and it's only later my wife told me like this is actually like we're experiencing trauma and the the terror attack is really on all the people of Israel mm -hmm. because we are the victims of the terror those so, those people who were killed were just they were murdered so um, I had just partially we have the first attack from Amalek right and the, the way it describes Amalek's attack using codes from the, the words was something like, something like what happened on October 7th on Simchas Torah. Um, for example, Vayizanev b'cha konech hashalim acharecha. Right, the word Vayizanev, it's uh, using the word zanav as a verb. Tail. Yeah, it's, it means tail, but like, it, that word is never used anywhere. It's a okay. very, very rare word to use the word tail as a verb. So Chazal say, well, what happened? Well, either, there's different ways to read it. Vayizanev is code for for the reproductive organ. What they did was mm. they, they castrated people and they, they, threw their, they threw their organs up into the air and said, oh, you have a bris, ha ha, and throw, oh. it, up to, throw it up to heaven. Oh um, or, or, or homosexual rape yeah. it was also part of it. Um, so it was, it was a very graphic attack. Mm. 
And um, I just read a midrash in Tanhuma today, uh, this morning actually, uh, where when Yoshua is advised to attack back, to fight back, he's told, uh, go out and attack. So why is the word say there? Just, like, just say, go out and attack. Mm. You just say attack. You don't have to say go out. Like, go out from where? So the Midrash says you have to go out from the cloud. We have a, we had a cloud that was covering us. The Ananei Kavod was basically a shield where nobody could even see what, what was going on inside. Okay. So, he, so Yoshua is told you have to get out of the cloud and attack outside of the cloud. Mm. Like you can't just shoot arrows from within the cloud and then they'll just go and attack Amalek and we'll be behind the cloud. Okay. Right, so we have to expose ourselves. What, what does that tell you about the Nechashalim? How were they attacked in the first place? Well, because not necessarily they were weak physically. Maybe they were, mm. but they were, all, they were weak spiritually. They didn't even want to be part of the, the Ananiya Kavod. They were like, eh, that's too much for me. I don't want to get too close. And who were the ones that were attacked on Sechus Torah? It was like m- mostly the secular leftists, yeah. the kibbutznikim, yeah. that, the, yes, they're part of our people and we will avenge them. Mm. But they... But once Amalek attacks them, yeah. and once they do, we are all going to get attacked by the entire world. Yeah. And that's how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be the focus of the world. If we're not going to be the focus for good, we're going to be the focus for bad, and then we will recover. I don't know how we're going to recover, but I know we will, yeah. because we're immortal, and they're not. They're going to die, and they'll be gone. Oh, man. Um, they, they've chose to mess with us. What, and, do, what do we say to people in the world today that... You know, I'm from South Africa, and South Africa has launched this um, this thing in the Hague where they, you know, this case that they brought us to the International Criminal Court, and uh, even though we, we basically won, and uh, I think it was really good for us to to counter their uh, their case against us. Um, but you know, there's a lot of sentiment in the world that what we are doing is too much. We're too, we, you know, we we. There's also women and children there that we that gets in the fire line of fire and it's so terrible and we have to stop and we can't do this to. What women these, and children can't be evil? This poor Gazans, yeah. Women and children can be evil. Well, what's wrong with killing women and children if they want to kill you? Yeah. Just because he's a child, he wants to kill you. I can't kill him back. <laughs> like, who cares if they're women and children? Yeah. Um, they they can do very bad things. Women and children. Yeah. Um. What is it like? Ninety, ninety-five percent of them in Gaza will like think that all Jews should be killed. Something uh, like that. Okay. Well, does that include women and children? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I think it's it's really the a lot of people out there do do not understand that that is the reality on the ground. Is that the majority of the population, including women and children? I mean, children there are also brainwashed from early age and mm-hmm. and through the education system to really hate Jews and to want to go and murder and kill Jewish people. That's our fault. That's our fault because we stick them in Gaza and we say, like, stay there. Open the door to to Egypt, push them out. They have plenty of Sinai to go hang out and do whatever they want. Yeah. Look, in the the end, at, at the end of the day, either they're going to leave or they're going to die. Yeah. And I would rather they leave. Yeah. Um, there's no other, there's no other choice. Because we can't have these people here anymore. And it's not just the ones in Gaza. It has to be the ones in Yudan Shamron and a lot of the Israeli, the so-called Israeli Arabs too. Mm. Anyone who wants Jews to die has to leave. Yeah, yeah. That's it. It doesn't mean has all to, of them. Has to either die themselves or leave. Yeah. That's, that's the only two options. And so we're, we're gradually being forced into this position. We're not there yet, but we're getting closer. 
you know, talking about talking about transfer is no longer anathema. Yeah. It's not being implemented. We're not close to implementing it yet, at least ideologically. But at least we're talking about it. And uh, and you know, the last week's parsha, the the splitting of the sea, right? The, it says that Paro came after us with six hundred chariots. Well, where did he get the chariots from? All the animals were dead. Yeah. You know, so where did the animals come from? Well, they, they came from the God-fearing Egyptians who, before the plagues, they, they, they put their animals inside so they wouldn't be affected. Yeah. Um, and so the, he, got, he got his weapons from the God-fearing Egyptians. And from there, Chazal say, Tov shuv mitzrim harog. The good, the good mitzrim, you should, we should kill them too. But obviously that doesn't, and that translates to all situations of war. Obviously we can't just go around killing non-Jews because we feel like it. That's yeah, murder, yeah. right? That's not what I'm saying, obviously. But when you are in a war and they are trying to kill you, you do not discriminate between women and children and fighting men. You just kill them. Yeah. And uh, to win the war. Obviously, if they have their hands up and they're surrendering, you stop killing. Yeah. You don't have to. You don't have to aim for women and children. But you cannot conduct a war where you're specifically trying to avoid civilian casualties when none of them are civilians. Yeah. Yeah. They're trying to kill us. Yeah. So and they, they and they openly state in their um, charter that they want to commit genocide here to you know from the river to the sea you know Palestine must be free. And uh, as, yeah, I think the West. I agree, but I agree. Palestine must be free, but free for them means no more Jews. Yeah. Free for me means anyone can live here and do what they want, including Arabs, if they stopped wanting us dead. Yeah. I I don't think that people, that anybody should live here and be free to do what they will. I I, I think that the people who who want to live here should Mm -hmm. and will eventually only be governed by one law, like it says in the Torah, there can only be one law for the the land. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I want to... I would like to end on a positive note. Like, mm-hmm. um, what? Let, let's talk about world peace. Like, that's that's. Okay. You know, this is war. We're going through war. There's this war that's possibly awaiting us very soon on the on, with Hezbollah and the and the north. Um, how, how? What is your thoughts on real peace? Like, how would like? How would we make? How would we? How would we make peace would with we make peace, the Arabs you know? here? Yeah, well, with the Arabs, or with or peace in, in the whole world, world um, peace. Well, stop trying to make peace. Um, like w- w- the 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 only example of land for peace or a peace process that we have in Tanakh is from Ahav. Mm. You know, what Ahav won a won a war against um, Ben Hadad from Aram, and then Ben Hadad like was the only survivor, and then uh, it, somebody told him that the Malchei Yisrael Malchei Chesed him. And then, so he's like, if you bow down to Ahav, he'll, you know, he'll rise you back up again. So Ahav like, yeah, yeah, you're my brother. Like, here's some cities back, and now we can have peace between us. And then Ahav was like the worst king yeah. of the northern kingdom. He was the worst, the worst king of anything yeah. in, in Tanakh. Um, so that's, that's the, ex- the example of, world, of land for peace comes from him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we don't have to, we don't need, peace shouldn't be a goal. Yeah, it's a result. It's a re, it's the it's the behavior. result of it's the result of good behavior. You don't need a yeah. you don't need a treaty with any of these countries. You don't need to make a deal with them. Mm. You can say, look, if you want peace, we'll trade with you. If you don't, fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
we just have to be ourselves. And if they don't like us, they don't like us. And if they like us, fine. Yeah. Like, why is it even a goal? I think peace, because um, if you think about it, if every person in the world today at once decide that uh, we want to, there's no reason that I need to hate my neighbor. There's no reason that I need to hate, hate anybody or want to steal from them or take from them, them something, then there would be peace in the world. Like, at once, like if every person that's in the army right now decide to, I'm going to lay my weapons down, at once, every single person, there'd be no war in the world, right? There would be peace. Well, yeah, that's a naive statement. Wishful thinking, yeah. right? But I do think there's something about um, realizing that um, there's, the only thing that we really have control over is ourselves and, our, and that we have to fix ourselves, right? That's part of the teshuvah. It's looking inwards and um, looking at our own faults and our own mistakes mm -hmm. and working on ourselves and realizing our connection to the Creator, to God, you know, and, um, and realizing that what's revealed to Moshe, you know, when, he, when God reveals his attributes to him, you know, of mercy and compassion and slow to anger and kindness, truth, forgiveness and righteousness and justice, you know, those, those high attributes of, of God that we are supposed to strive for, you know, taking God's attributes and putting it on us and living, trying to live them in every moment of the day, becoming, you know, becoming closer to God, mm. that that, if, if we take those attributes of God and implement them in our lives and be aware of God's presence, you know, because he's, he's everywhere in the world, that we will bring more of God's attributes in the world and thus also become more peaceful and, and have inner peace and peace between our people and in your family, peace in the family. And uh, I just wanted to add to, you know, I think some things that people can focus on and do in the time to come, you know, mm. this difficult period that we're going into, is that family is one thing that's really important, right? And it connects also to the, even the name of God, you know, the, the, the special name of God that's full throughout the, the Torah, you know, almost 7,000 times. You know, it's the, it's spelled with the letter Yud, Hey, and Vav Hey that this name that means that basically comes down to the, the past, the present and the future in one, in one name. And that this is the, the present moment that we are experiencing, you know, all the time that we're living in. And that when we take God's attributes and we apply it through in our experience, because, you know, it includes our own personal past, present and future, you know, cause, you know, mm -hmm. all of that, the past and the future, we only experience in, really experience it in the present moment because it's only now that we can think back about the past or it's only now that we can have a vision for the future or fears about the future. Mm -hmm. So when we apply those attributes to our thoughts and our words and our actions in the present moment that we can bring those, those goodness into the world and live it out in our families and you know, how family connects to the name is that it's also connects to the future. You know, it's the, the, the grandparents are the past and we are the present and our children is the future. And how we, um, you know, when we bring those attributes into the family and into the community and spread it outward toward, towards the world, that we will create, you know, God will, through us, create a better world and we will be one with him. You know, that's really what the Torah is telling us is that we, we are one with God, you know, Shema Israel, 
Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, you know, we're one with him. And this is really the direction I feel like we have to focus on is, is bringing the, the goodness, those good things into the world. And then... Um, you just have to turn to him. Yeah, we if have to... The, if, if you talk about national tshuva, if the Israeli government, it's not going to happen, but if, if, let's say, Bibi and like all the people, all the Jews in the Knesset were like, go up to Harabai and invite everyone up and then just have a national prayer rally led by, I don't know, the chief rabbi, even though I don't like him. Whoever, mm -hmm. whoever it is, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. But just, just davened at Harabai, please help us win this war. Yeah. Just that. Yeah. Yeah. That that would do that would that would it would break so many hearts. Yeah. And it would cause an enormous flood of chuva in this people. Yeah. They're not going to do that, but that's all we need I, to do. I think if you you say we want to be yeah, one with God, yeah. the first thing if you want to do if you want to be one with God is turn toward him and look. Yes. Yeah. I think eventually we will we will get there, but it's going to cost it's going to cost a lot and yeah. um, but that's that will be the that's what the prophets talk about, you know. Some of the prophets talk about us calling a national fast, right? And repentance and turning to God. And yeah. eventually we will do that. It's going to happen, yeah. yeah. It's like uh, when a parent, if he sees his kid, you know, out on the streets taking drugs and killing himself, hmm. well, what, you can't really do anything until he hits rock bottom and says, I'm, I'm sorry, I shouldn't, to, been, yeah. I shouldn't have been doing this and yeah. I'm, I'm ready to come back now. And then the parent's like, great. Yeah. Okay, thank God. <laughs> yeah. So right now we're like, we're crackheads on the street. Yeah. You know, the, that's what the Jewish people are. We just shot ourselves up with God knows what. Yeah. And we're all confused. And uh, somebody just attacked us on the street. And we're like, what just happened? Yeah. And uh, we're not at rock bottom yet, but uh, we're headed there. I hope it won't be too bad. Yeah. And then we'll, and then, and then we'll get better. So I just wanted to say that this, is, that this um, advice of, you know, also think, when we bring these attributes of God into the world and we think about the next generation especially, you know, like the prophets are telling us that this is what needs to happen. We need to think of the next generation of our children mm -hmm. and um, turn our hearts to them and the children will turn their hearts to the fathers, you know, like it talks of in, in the, the Malachi. In the Malachi. Yeah. And, you know, this, throughout the prophets it talks about how in this time we those that will call on the name of God will be will be saved and will be brought through this time. So I think it's really important for people to to know that and to to think about God, you know, the meaning of His name and think about His attributes and what that really means to to call on His name and connect connect to God. Mm -hmm. Is there is there anything else you would like to um, to say before we end? Just just everyone to calm down. Like we'll. It's it's heavy stuff, yeah. But uh, I, I think we're back here for a, a very big reason. This is the first time in all of world history where the entire world is looking at the Jews every step. Mm. The whole world is looking yeah. at us. Yeah. Um, so this is our time. This is our time to shine, and we will. And uh, if you're here, uh, the chances are much better that you'll survive this than if you're there. Um, it's going to be rough out there. So. Uh, we're home, and it'll be fine. I don't know how fine, but uh, we're promised it'll be fine. <laughs> so <Yeah>. relax. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if I got roughly, but there's one last question that I wanted to ask you. Mm -hmm. um, are you Mashiach? 
No. How do you know? You're Jewish and you're living here in the land of Israel. Well, chances that I'm a Mashiach are like one in however many Jews have ever existed. So it's pretty, pretty low. Um, okay. I don't feel like I'm, I'm a Mashiach. God doesn't talk to me. Okay, and this, you don't At have least, any... no, he, 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 gives me, he gives me very vague signals like that I can pick up on, but there's nothing intelligible. Okay, um, and you have no, no blood connection to King not, David? And... Not that I know of. Right. Um, I, don't, I don't have the ability to lead politically. It's not my personality. Um, I can direct certain people to become better thinkers, so that's my role. Um, a Mashiach candidate would be somebody who's more culturally attuned to this people. I mean, I guess you could say, you know, who was the least culturally attuned to Am Yisrael was Moshe Rabbeinu because he grew up as an Egyptian, then he left, yeah. and uh, he was an outsider. But I'm, no, I'm not, I'm not Mashiach, no. <laughs> what, what kind of personality do you think Mashiach would be? Very Esav-like. Esav-like? Yeah. In what way? Like David Amelach was. The only two people described as Admoni and Tanakh are Esav and David Amelach. Okay. And they're both what, very what is, violent what people. What is Admoni? Admoni is like a redhead or ruddy. Ah, okay. So you skinned. think they will physically, the physical appearance would be like... I'm not saying anything about physical appearance, but I'm saying that, that the Tanakh describes Esav and David with the same words that okay. are very rare meaning they have the same characteristics. Um, and uh, so that's who I would see as a Mashiach candidate, somebody of that caliber who's very forceful, but also very righteous. Um, and uh, that's definitely not any of our leaders now. Um, but I'm, I'm not like, I'm not going to be crowning anyone Mashiach, even if they succeed, mm. because they can succeed to a certain level and then fail. Which yeah. has happened many times. There's been many Mashiach candidates in our, in throughout the generations that have succeeded in certain ways and then failed. Mm. Um, you know, the first one was Chizkiyahu Amelach. He he almost succeeded and then he failed. Um, so we could be in a situation where some leader is going to, uh, or the Chashmonaim, they they were Mashiach candidates but they failed, as they were from they were from the wrong. Bar Kochba as well. Yeah, Bar Kochba was a Mashiach candidate who failed, um, and the Chashmonaim arguably couldn't have been because they're not from the right Shevet, but. Yeah, put, that's, yeah, put that aside for a second. Um, we shouldn't be. It, it's it's not a healthy thing to like go around and say, "Does this guy fit? Could he be Michelle? Could he be?" It's mm. not going to yeah. help anybody. Yeah, it's just going to have you counting days down and not focusing on what you need to do. Yeah, All right. I'm just going around asking everybody. You know. Oh. <laughs> Did anybody <But>. say yes? <laughs> no. <laughs> but I, you know, I've only interviewed a few people, but. Um, Interesting enough, I interviewed um, the, the grandson of the Kohen Agadol of the Samaritans. Hmm. So I didn't I actually forgot to ask him that question, but uh, <laughs> okay. who knows? Anyways, um, yeah, that's it. Thanks. I mean, Rafi, um, I just want to thank you so much for this, having this conversation with me. I really appreciate it. And I love what you're doing with your, with your YouTube channel. I, I'm a regular there. Yeah. And uh, even though I'm, I'm, I'm a complete idiot when it comes to economics and uh, understanding all the stuff, but um, I'm, I'm very grateful that you're talking, that you're a voice out there talking about it. And mm -hmm. um, uh, where can people find you? Um, um, well, you can find me on Substack. That's my main service, Endgame Investor at Substack. 
Um, you can subscribe for free and uh, or the, a paid subscription um, is I think $20 a month or $200 a year for a three times weekly um, update on monetary, banking, economic topics. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to track the end game in real time. All uh, right. We'll see if I'm successful. And um, you can find me on YouTube, Rafi Farber, Patreon, where I give a once a week sheer on, on money and government. Okay. Uh, on Dioma uh, at uh, patreon.com slash endgameinvestor that's as little as $3 a month and um, I think that's it awesome thank you man appreciate it bye <laughs> <laughs> you go man.